from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Well, back in the studio, y'all, and welcome. Good morning to another exciting episode of the Cyber Hub Podcast. It's Thursday. It's September 28th. It's our last show for the month. When we do a new show on Monday, it'll be October. And you know what October is? Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And if you're all wondering what we're doing special on the show, I can tell you absolutely nothing. We're going to continue to drive awareness year-round, giving you all the latest and greatest for all of you practitioners and insights. We're live. Good morning. Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Twitter's now X, by the way. Twitch and Rumble. Good morning, everyone tuning in. We see all your comments. Thank you all for being here. Our global audience is, this is the best community on the planet. I am a bit biased, but I stand by my comments there. So um, let's get into this morning's show. But before we do it, now that I'm back in the studio, uh, it's always nice to have a double espresso with all y'all in the morning. It's, 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 it, it puts a smile on my face. It, it warms my heart. It also powers me through the day to know that the hundreds of you tuning in join me for a double espresso. Coffee cup cheers, y'all. And with that being said, let's start with this latest story, something that I think we all knew. I don't think there's anything about this headline that would drive anyone crazy. I'm going to read the headline for all of our listeners. The U.S. and Japan are warning that Chinese hackers are backdooring Cisco routers. But really, we've known this forever. Cisco routers are manufactured in China. Most places in China have some sort of government ownership. Would it be far-fetched? that part of that government ownership would potentially put parts and pieces and sort of malware and hide things within these devices that are being built in China in order to gain persistent backdoors. Not far-fetched at all. In fact, that's the Chinese MO. So while the story is huge, this now report is coming from the FBI, NSA, CISA, the Japanese NISC, and the NPA police, all of which are talking about black tech or circuit panda or like names, you know, my, my usual rant about names for APTs. Give it one name. I'm going to start this at some point in the next few months. We're just going to go ahead and put out a petition and say we're going to create one name for APTs. Pick one, vote for it. Everyone uses it. We're done. So the uh, Black Tech is known for their cyber espionage attacks on Japan, Taiwan, Hong Kong, They've been doing it for at least 13, if not 14 years. Uh, the sectors, they typically go after government, industry, technology, media, electronics, telecom, and of course, the defense industry. Well, the FBI notice war- is warning that they're using custom regularly updated malware to uh, backdoor network devices, which are used for persistence, initial access to networks, and to steal data by redirecting traffic to their own servers. Advisory is warning that the custom malware is sometimes signed using stolen code signing certificates, making it harder for people to detect. Again, not surprised by this at all. There are some mitigations for Cisco routers in particular. Researchers have observed that they're enabling and disabling an SSH backdoor by using a specially crafted TCP or UDP packet that are sent to the devices. This me- the method itself allows the attackers to evade detection and only enable the backdoor when when necessary. The threat actors have also been observed patching the memory of Cisco devices to bypass the Cisco ROM monitor signature validation function. So they're really in deep into this. And if 
you're a new company that's in the hardware space and you're thinking of manufacturing in China because of cost, I would triple think that decision. And if you're a company that's manufacturing and you're building next gen equipment and your factories are in China, this is a great example of why you shouldn't be doing it. You should take your business elsewhere. The way to defeat the Chinese Communist Party and the way to change the ways and free the Chinese people, not from, you know, for, for, from just this tyranny and slavery that they live in, um, is to stop financing this government. And um, the way to do that is to go to other places like India, uh, Singapore, Thailand, um, and other ones. Um, I'd be wary of Malaysia, but I've got my own reasons for that. Having said that, though, there's are a few mitigation practices that are being recommended using the transport output none command to prevent unwanted external connections, um, oversee inbound or outbound traffic on devices, especially unauthorized access or segregated admin systems with a VLAN, only permit specific IP addresses for network admins to and track login attempts, transition to devices with advanced secure mode and prioritize up, updating uh, outdated equipment. Change all passwords and keys when a breach is suspected. Scrutinize logs for anomalies like unexpected reboots or config changes. Or utilize a network device integrity methodology to detect unauthorized alterations or compare boot records and firmware to trusted versions. Routinely, all of which uh, can't be automated, all of which require some sort of human approach to most of these. And you're going to have to devout resources to do just that. Our second story of the day is the amount of attacks that have grown against APIs in Q2 of this year was 65% as compared to Q2 of last year. This is accounting to about 9 billion attacks in 18 months, according to the team over at Akamai. And that's a high stakes of innovation in financial services. The research is based on the analysis of security events detected on Akamai Connected Cloud in networks of approximately 340,000 servers in 4,000 locations and 1,300 networks in 130-plus countries. This rise is increasing in the Layer 3 and Layer 4 of DDoS attacks, according to the report. API security and DDoS pose specific threats, and it's no surprise that they would DDoS APIs. If you overwhelm an API, you reach a kind of a limit. Once you reach that limit, everything kind of falls into shreds until you resolve it. Uh, having been on that end a few times myself as a practitioner, I can tell you it's, it's, it's no fun and it requires kind of rethinking how you set up your API gateways and how you, how you're bringing through traffic. Um, it, it's, it's, it's an engineering feature. Setting up APIs is not easy. It's easy. Uh, it's almost too easy. Uh, architecting APIs requires a specific specialty to do so. Um, there's a bunch of ways to look at this where you take your kind of more um, uh, precious APIs where, you, you know, you know, you've got some really lower end rate limits, um, but, but then you can also really kind of program it to go through a specific gateway and, and you create separate different gateways. So you're not putting all your blocks on one gateway. So you're not using just one, but you're having multiple different IP addresses and you're kind of changing things around. There, there, there's, there's a whole slew of ways to really continuously manage APIs um, from an engineering perspective and a security perspective to, to reduce the risk. However, most APIs, when you think of what, what hits, what they're hitting on, on the financial function is kind of the internal external banking functions between the reporting and in, uh, and the back end in a financial services firm 
to a customer account to to essentially the settlement. And those APIs specifically are most of the time internal, but if they can gain foothold into a network, well, then by all means, that becomes really easy to do and they can actually manipulate it. So there's a whole bunch of vulnerabilities, by the way, with APIs like cross-site scripting and structured query language injections, which account for about 36% of the, these attacks, right? So the FSI SAC is, is, is on this, but nonetheless, it's now in finance. Very shortly, it'll be everywhere else. It just, that's the name of the game. And APIs are a major, major backbone to a lot of our networks and architecture. It's how we can, we live in an ass world, meaning it's SaaS, uh, software platform, infrastructure, and so much more. And as, as you do these, and the more you have, the more APIs you're connecting to, to move data across one place to the other, uh, to have a single source of truth somewhere, and then all of that going into a database. And then that database is really API connected to pull sources and provide reporting and, and history and, and, and data scientists, some sort of access you're you're really relying on these a lot and these are your conduits these are your highways and once you put you know a bunch of cars on a highway and you create a crash and you create a traffic jam by all means all of that data sits there and if you're a sophisticated attacker which you can be when you're going after financial institutions it's just easy pickings just keep that in mind so use proper mitigation understand api architecture make sure you have visibility into all your internal and external apis don't rely on just one thing and test your APIs before you launch them. Every single API security provider in the market today offers uh, uh, testing of APIs while they're being written, which is really important to do, especially in your IDE as people are writing APIs potentially into the code for a specific application of the business. And then rotate your keys frequently, as, as, as frequent as you can without breaking anything. So there's that. In patching news, Mozilla has announced a security update for both Firefox and Thunderbird. They've addressed nine vulnerabilities in this one. Uh, two major CVEs have been resolved, CVE 2023-5168 and 5169er. Their high severity flaws described as out-of-bounds right issues in the browser's filter node, D2, D1, and PathOps components. So those are now been solved. Make sure you get those updated. We move on to details of a new RCE exploit chain that's being exploited for SharePoint, and according to researchers who discovered the critical vulnerabilities in the SharePoint server and have released details of an exploit that, that they developed that chains the two vulnerabilities together that enables a remote code execution on some of these affected servers. Another researcher also posted a different proof of concept uh, code on GitHub for one SharePoint vulnerability that shows an attacker could exploit the code to gain admin privileges on specific vulnerable systems. The vulnerabilities are on SharePoint server 2019. CVE 2023-29-357, an elevation of privilege flaw. Uh, that's been patched in June. If you haven't done so, you want to go ahead and do it. The second uh, is CVE 2023-249-55, a remote code execution vulnerability that Microsoft patched in May and that impacts SharePoint servers 2019-2016 and the server subscription edition. So you want to make sure if you haven't updated those that you go ahead and do that. The proofs are out there and attackers are going to be there as well. Another story I saw trending this morning is getting ready for a show. Nearly all modern GPUs are vulnerable to a new type of side channel attack that could be leveraged to obtain sensitive information, according to a team of researchers from multiple universities in the U.S. These are representatives from the University of Texas at Austin, Carnegie Mellon, 
University of Washington and the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. These attacks leverage hardware-based graphical data compression and optimization in modern GPU that's designed to improve performance. In doing so, um, it actually creates a compression in the side channel, which leaks because of the software's visible use of compression can be mitigated by disabling compression in the software, according to researchers. So very interesting find there, a very worth worthwhile read. Uh, how credible is it? It's very credible. How likely is it? You'd have to be really motivated to use this. So not every vulnerability is dangerous. Headlines, people love these. They, they, people click on them and then share them on LinkedIn and Twitter and they go like, or now X, sorry. They go, oh my God, this is a huge buy my product. No, you'd got to be really motivated to do this. I mean, they, they attacked Wikipedia, just kind of show this stuff. But again, it, it takes a lot of time to do this. It, it, it takes a lot of resources and I don't think that the time and the resources justify the means of what a threat actor would get to it. So does vulnerability exist? It needs to be addressed, but I don't think it's imminent. So read it. It's cool to know. It's good to share with your teams, but it's not really likely. In ransomware news, the automation giant control Johnson Controls is now hit by a ransomware attack. So Johnson Controls International is claiming to have suffered a massive ransomware attack that encrypted many other devices, including their VMware ESXi servers, impacting the company and its multiple subsidiaries operations. Um, being a multinational conglomerate that develops and manufactures ICS systems, security equipment, air conditioners, and fire safety equipment, they have over 100,000 people working in the company through its subsidiaries, including York, Tyco, Luxair, Coleman, Ruskin, Grinnell, and Simplex. This was a weekend cyber attack, apparently, that started in their Asian offices and has now moved across the entire company. Um, so we'll be, wait and see what is happening there. This is the Dark Angel team ransom note, apparently, and there's about 27 terabytes worth of company corporate data that's been encrypted in their VMs during the attack. Uh, the 8K filing with the SEC has confirmed a ransomware attack. They're coordinating with insurers. They're implementing controls. They're, you know, the yada, 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 the standard kind of uh, thing that goes on there. I did Seinfeld that just for all of you Seinfeld fans. So we'll see how this plays out, but <laughs> there's going to be a whole lot there as well. And for a 38 after action report has been published this week after the uh, May the city of Dallas ransomware attack. And now we know that the ransomware operators were in the network for weeks on in before they launched the deadly attack on May 4th of this year. The city operates more than 860 applications and about 200 IT workers within the Dallas Department of Information and Technology Services. The Royal Ransomware Gang was the one behind this attack. And as many of you know, if you go back to our May 4th show, we were actually live in Dallas when the ransomware transpired at a Data Connectors event. When that took place, so now we've got the after-action report. We know they were in there for a while. They exfiltrated 1.17 terabytes worth of data uh, while they were preparing to deploy the ransomware uh, between, and that's from April 7th to May 2nd. Um, a lot of kind of failures within the monitoring of that. How do you not kind of see that and so forth? So um, also your, your incident response. The city approved a budget of $8.5 for restoration efforts. Um, and have dedicated 40,000 hours dealing with the ransomware attack. So there's that. You can read the after-action report. It's worthy. It's, it's a great read for practitioners. We're way, way over time, 18 minutes in. Crazy. Can't believe we went that long. Well, that's it for our show. Monday, October 
Cybersecurity Awareness Month. What are we going to talk about? Cybersecurity, you betcha, because that's the show. This is where we do it. Make sure to subscribe. Make sure to follow. Thank you all for being part of the greatest community on the planet, the CyberHub Podcast community. Till Monday, have a great week and have a great rest of your day. Most importantly, y'all stay cyber safe. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.